Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Bibles, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 for our last installment of Family Values. But before we get into the message, let me tell you something. There was a miracle, an absolute miracle. I mean, this ranks up there with the parting of the Red Sea and, you know, the walls of Jericho falling down. It occurred at the McMorris home last night. It ranks up there with all those biblical miracles. Last early evening, my wife, Sharon, comes up. I'm I'm sitting there watching the news or something. She says, isn't March Madness going on? And I said, yeah. She said, want to watch some games? (laughs) I said, like, both of us, you and me together, watch? She said, yeah. Yeah. 45 minutes later, when I was coming to in the emergency room, <laughs> I realized the extent of the, uh, of the miracle. She really did. Now, I have, I have Brother Jamie to thank for this. Now, remember, who, who was it that used to give the rest of the story? Paul Harvey. Okay, now the rest of the story. The reason she's interested this year, because she's never been before. Not, couldn't care. And we did watch. We watched Loyola upset uh, Tennessee. And the reason she wanted to watch, okay, back to Jamie, a couple days ago, Jamie came to me and he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You and Miss Sharon are going to fill out brackets. You know, you have the brackets and you can fill them out. And me and Amber are going to fill out the brackets. And, you know, uh, winner takes the, no, the loser takes the winners out to, to eat. Well, my first thought was, I said, well, Jamie, isn't that kind of like betting? He said, okay, bad idea, bad idea. But anyway, Sharon said, I want to do that. I said, you don't know anything about basketball. You could care less. And she said, well, I'm going to do it. She said, I want you. She had to talk me into doing it. I said, I don't do that. I, I, I. She said, no, let's do it. I said, oh, okay, let's, let's do it. So, we're, so I'm, I'm, I'm explaining her, you know, the four brackets and whatever, and the number one seed and the number 16 seed. And she really didn't care so much about that. True. She said, she says, I think Villanova's going to win. I said, because they're seated number one? She said, I, I don't understand that. She said, no, because it rhymes with Casanova. <laughs> I kid you not. That's it. Sharon? <laughs> so... So last night, we were, we, were, we were watching, and, you know, and I didn't think she would care. So we're watching, I just turned on, so let's find, let's find a game, you know, game's going on all day, so I find, I turn on, okay, there's Loyola in Tennessee. So I told Sharon, I said, I, I'm, I'm trying to coach her. She's, I said, look, I said, most people don't care, and when people don't care, they usually pull for the underdog, and Loyola's the, the underdog, so we'll pull for Loyola. She said, no. She pulls her paper out. She said, I got Tennessee winning this game. I'm pulling for Tennessee. 
She's yelling at the TV. I mean, because it was a close game down to the wire. I kid you not. I mean, and then the, um, who are they? Tennessee Loyola. Yeah, they make that last second shot, and you know Sharon goes storming out of the living room. All. <laughs> and then we watched another game later that night. So I'm telling you, it, it, it's a miracle. Uh, I got to stick this in, bragging rights. How many of y'all watched the Michigan-Houston game last night? I, it was late, but a few folks, only a few. But you were all pleased that Michigan beat Houston last night. Can I give you some bragging rights? This year, earlier this season, my team, where I graduated, LSU, beat both those teams. <laughs> we didn't make the tournament. <laughs> But I'm serious about that. Check, check, out the, check out the record there. So, Sharon, you, you up for watching some basketball this, this evening? Yeah, she's got, her, she's got her chart, and she's watching to see who she's, she's competitive. I, I like that. All right, family values, the cultivation of biblical virtue in the home. This world is a sin-cursed world. And, and life can be hard because Satan and the world and our flesh is going to try to monkey everything up. You know, Satan hates God. He hates God's children, us believers. Our flesh works against us. The world, influenced by Satan, works against us. It can be a challenge to have a happy marriage and a happy home. But in this sin-cursed world... God wants you and provides for you to have a good marriage and a happy marriage and a happy home. If you will look to him, if you will trust him, by looking to him, I mean that you're in church when the doors are open, your children are in church, and not only are you listening and learning, but you're changing. When you hear something at church that you shouldn't be doing, then you quit doing it. When, when, you, when, you, when you read your Bible and it tells you that there's something you ought to be doing that you're not doing, you, you start, do, you change. That, that's the point of your personal Bible study, your personal prayer time, and coming to church. The world is going to mess you up. Listen, God is on your side. He doesn't want you, your family, to be tense all the time. Listen, I'm, a re- I'm very much a realist. In this sin-cursed world, every couple is going to have a bad day occasionally. The best of couples are going to have a bad day occasionally. What concerns me are those couples who only have a good day occasionally. Christian couples, even in this sin-cursed world, Christian families in this sin-cursed world, you're, you ought to have way more good days than bad days. Way more. And it's not pie in the sky. It can be that way. But it requires listening. It requires a heart. It requires being willing to change. So you come to church and you hear the preaching of the Word of God and, and understand, I'm for you. I, I so badly, it, it hurts me to know of whenever I hear of a couple in our church that's struggling. Or when I hear of a family in our church that's struggling. Or an individual in our church. Uh, you know, pastor, we love the flock. Oh, I love you folks. And when I'm up here, I'm trying to help you. Sometimes the Word of God may step on your toes. Other times it's going to encourage you. But the important thing is to listen and trust God's Word and take action. 
and, and, and realize it can be better. No matter how bad it's been or for how long, understand it can be better. We're talking about the cultivation of biblical virtue in the home. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this has been our theme for this series, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of the house and on thy gates. What that passage is, is doing, that is God telling his people, listen, take no chances with your children. Be proactive. Teach them biblical truth. Teach them biblical values. Teach them virtue. Do not leave it to chance. Either you are going to influence them, the Word of God is going to influence them, or this sinful world is going to influence them. Somebody's going to influence them. And for that reason, God says here, do this, teach this to your children. Which leads us to this quote, we've said it, I think, every service. The most important work you and I will ever do will be within the walls of our own homes. And that's saying a lot because everybody in here does important work outside of your home. Your jobs are important. Your community involvement is important. Your, your church work is important. But it really is true. The most important work you will do will be in your home. But most people don't know what to do. Most people don't know how to raise kids. They don't know how to be a good husband. They don't know how to be a good wife. By the way, a commercial. If you're having problems in your marriage, come see me. We have material now and resources now that can help you. Don't be too proud. Don't be ashamed. I have never once been shocked when a couple comes to me and said, we're having problems. I've never thought, somebody in our church having problems in their marriage? Who would have ever thought? I would be shocked if somebody told me we never have problems. Now, that would shock me. Uh, I would really be shocked. You know, if somebody come to me and say, pa- Pastor, we need some help, you know, we'd be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed at all. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it teaches that parents are to teach biblical virtues and values. Now, this is important because the absence, read behind me on the screen, the absence of values and virtues breeds contempt and promotes disharmony in the home. The homes that you know are having so many problems To a great degree, a very great degree, they're having those problems because they lack biblical values and virtue. But understand, whereas the presence of values and virtues are the very foundations of harmony and unity and throw in peace there in the home, the way to have harmony in the home It's through family values and biblical virtues. Let me ask you this. Do you know of a better way? You got a better idea? I don't mean that sarcastically, or I don't don't mean to sound like a a smart aleck. I I think that's a a good thing to think about for a second. What's your way? Do you have a better way to bring priests and harmony? Or let's put it this way. 
if, if you don't have family values, you don't have virtues, you know, yeah, you go to church, you know, but, you know, you're not, you're not living it. It's, it. it's not translating it into a lifestyle change. You just go, you know, it's just one fight, one argument after another. How's that working for you? The, the point is, we have answers. We have hope. We have, we have help for you this morning. Now, the problem is, in a sin-cursed world, virtue isn't very popular. And it may not be very popular for any of you in, the, in this room this morning that are consumed with self-will. People that are selfish, self-centered, don't want to be told what to do. They're not going to have virtue. They're not going to be interested in virtue. They're not going to develop virtue. Let me share this quote with you. This is a quote. Virtue is not the talk of the town these days. In fact, it is depicted in our culture as weak and useless. I mean, how often do you hear people talking about virtue? At work? At school? You know, with the families? Again, I'm talking about something that... People would say, you know, this belongs with the dinosaurs. Yeah, but how's, how's our families doing? How's American culture doing today? We used to not have to lock our doors at night. Virtue is not the talk of the town these days. In fact, it is depicted in our culture as weak and useless. It is the butt of jokes. It is forgotten as part of a perceived bygone error filled with contempt and arrogance. To be a person of character is to be alone and endure criticism by the world and even by some so-called Christians. Virtue calls us higher to a level where few people desire to go. Why? Because virtue means controlling your passions. And too many people today want to live with uncontrolled passions. Virtue calls us to a higher level where few people desire to go because it is an assault against the self-will. It flies in the face with what we expect and desire to do and to be. And that's why so many marriages are falling apart. And people have turned to living together like that's an answer. There's no greater peace there. In fact, there's more disharmony there. I mean, more people are needing medication today. More people are unhappy. More people are dissatisfied. Because we're becoming a more virtuous nation? quite the opposite. We've been talking about virtue. And in this series, I've, and there's others than this, but I've focused on 12. So far, we've focused on these. Humility. There's a lot of that going around today, isn't there? Integrity, honesty, patience, purity, self-control, generosity, thoughtfulness. One of my favorite words, thoughtfulness. Those are all virtues. Are those words commonly used in your house? You talk about them a lot with you and your spouse. Are these common words? Today we're going to focus on our final three. And they are perseverance, courage, and loyalty. Perseverance, courage, and loyalty. Let's look at these. Number one, this ought to be taught in your home. It ought to be modeled in your home. Or if you're a single individual... You know, it ought to be modeled in your life. It ought to be appreciated in your life. It ought to be valued in your life. What is perseverance? Uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary says, Continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. It's got to do with overcoming obstacles. 
getting over barriers in life. And the Bible talks about this. The Bible holds this up as a virtue, this idea of perseverance. In Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. See, the Bible speaks highly of perseverance because it's valued. It is important. Perseverance is so important. We need to demonstrate it in our lives. We need to teach it to our children. I love this quote. This is one of the reasons it's so important. Perseverance is failing 19 times and succeeding on the 20th. How many people in life just give up way too soon? I mean, this day and age when people have become soft and people feel entitled, we don't make progress as individuals, as families, or as a nation because at the first sign of an obstacle, we fail because we think we're entitled and everything should come easy. One of the people in the Bible that we admire so much is a man that we admire when you think about it for his perseverance. And there's lots of Bible characters. And we could mention Jesus here, but we're going to mention him with the last one. I mean, you can mention Jesus with all of these, but, you know, when you think beyond Jesus, who comes to mind as somebody who endured hardships and never quit? There's lots of people we could name, but one of the main ones in the New Testament would be the Apostle Paul. In fact, he tells us of the obstacles and the barriers that he had to face in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse number 24. This is, this is his life. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. I mean, five times. And he kept going. There's a lot of people that would have checked out on the threat of the first beating. Just the threat. I'm not playing this game anymore. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I <coughs> excuse me, suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, lost at sea. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen who were out to get him. In perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Verse number 27, in weariness and painfulness and watching often in hunger and thirst and fasting often in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Not only the physical pain, the physical heartache, but the mental stress of caring for all these people in all these churches. And we admire Paul. And we admire Paul in part because he persevered. That is a noble quality. Now, the world might not see it as a noble quality, but we're not going to live by their dictates. We're not going to live by their influence. We don't want what they have. you got to be willing to swim upstream. And understand the value of perseverance. The Bible promotes it because it's good for us. There's benefits for those of you in here that choose to press on in the face of hardships. Benefits including uh, overcoming obstacles to success. It, it, it builds our trust in God when, we, when he goes with us through the furnace. And perseverance inspires others. 
great life lessons for our friends and for our children and for our spouse. We need to understand this is a wonderful virtue. Perseverance. Going over the obstacles, around the obstacles, or through the obstacles. As Paul demonstrated. Does that describe you? Is that what you model in your life for others? Or are you one that is easily discouraged, quick to throw in the towel? That's not, nothing to be applauded. Everybody else may be doing it because they, they're entitled. I shouldn't have to do that. I don't want to do that. Just provide for me. No, we Christians are to be different. As the old saying says, we march to the beat of a different drummer, and that drummer is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to learn to persevere. That is a value, that is a virtue that ought to be admired and appreciated and taught in your home. Number two, and this is related to it, courage. What's the definition of courage? Merriam-Webster, mental or moral strength to venture persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. This is a virtue that the Bible, there's no question the Bible, there's no question with any of them, but I mean the Bible, you can find all kind of examples where the Bible uses the very word courage, and, and it is encouraging courage in all of us. Psalm 27, 14 is one of many verses in the Bible. It simply says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He says to us, be of good courage. And yet, when we get with the people at work, we become like them. And we laugh at the same things they laugh at. And we use the same language they use because we're afraid. Because we lack courage. Our young people in college or in school, you know, just going along with the crowd, you, don't, you, you know you shouldn't, but you do it anyway. What, what's the missing ingredient? It's courage. Understand this, the importance of courage. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. It is the courage to press on, to know what is right and to do what is right, to be courageous. An Old Testament, uh, Old Testament example of this has got to be David and Goliath. I mean, David, just a regular-sized kid, going up against this nine-foot giant, this behemoth of a man. The biblical account, 1 Psalm 17, 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. This is David. He finds out about Goliath, and, you know, he's holding the whole Hebrew army at bay because they're all afraid of him. Nobody wants to go out and do battle with him. So David says to Saul, Saul's the king, the general, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with him. Talking about himself, I'll go fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. You're just a kid. And he's a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose uh, against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. 
Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. David said, listen, I've dealt with wild animals before. I've killed wild animals. I'll take care of this guy. What is the one thing that made him different from Saul and the rest of Saul's army? One thing distinguished him above all else, and that's courage. And we admire Dave, David for, for the courage that he, that he demonstrated because what he did was right to stand up to what is wrong. And we need to stand up to what is wrong. We may not be facing any physical Goliaths as we go out to do our duties tomorrow and the rest of the week in the workplace, in the community, or thereabout, but there's Goliaths out there. Not men, Goliaths, but there's, there's, there's intimidation, there's threats, there's ostracizing of you. Those are giants. And what is it going to take to make a difference? It's going to take courage. That is so important for us to understand that. There's so many benefits to courage. Again, everything the Bible promotes may be challenging for us to live, but it's for our benefit. With courage, courage overcomes the obstacles that threaten your progress or your success. I mean, anything worth achieving is going to have obstacles along the way. And the only thing that's going to get you over, around, or through those obstacles is courage. Also, here's why we need courage. Courage stands up for and promotes righteousness. I mean, we need people, we need pastors that have the courage to stand behind pulpits and to preach the truth, but we need lay people that are willing to go out into the community and live lives of truth and honesty and integrity. We need to have you out there promoting righteousness. And to do that, they're not going to appreciate it. The world out there, they're suspicious. They value the, the world. It's, it's all been flip-flop. The world values those who are cunning. The world values the good liars. I'm telling you the truth. That, that's, you know, I mean, if you can lie, if you can cheat, if you can steal and you can get away with it, the world admires that. But we need people that will stand up for righteousness and to make this world a better place. You're going to need courage in the workplace tomorrow. You're going to need courage in the classroom tomorrow. And then thirdly, courage resists evil. It's resistant to evil. The courage to say, no, we're not going to do that. The courage to say, no, you're not going to bring that into our home. The courage to tell the boss, no, I can't do what you're asking me to do. That's dishonest. What's going to cost you your job? Well, I don't want to lose my job, but I, I can't do it. And you lose your job, and guess what? God blesses you and gives you a better one. Way better than you ever thought. Courage. And then lastly, number three, loyalty. Loyalty. That's something you don't hear a whole lot about these days. Loyalty. Definition of loyalty or loyal. Unswerving allegiance. Faithful to a private person to whom faithfulness is due. Faithful to a cause, an ideal, a custom, an institution, or in some cases even a product. 
The Bible really doesn't use the word loyal or loyalty, but it does use a synonym, which is faithful. In verse number, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, or a synonym of that would be loyal. And if the Bible promotes it, it's in your best interest to pursue it and to develop it. I like this quote. This is a quote you have to think about for a second, so I'm going to read it, and I'm going to pause. I want you to think about this quote. Sharon just read it this morning for the first time, and, and she said and it, it, it promoted a conversation between us, a good conversation. And the quote says, Be loyal to those who are not present. In so doing, you build the trust of those who are present. Think about that for a second. Read it. That is a great quote and a great truth. Loyalty. Being loyal to family. Loyal to friends. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to approve of everything they do, but it means in spite of what they do, you're going to love them and you're going to be loyal in that you're going to be there for them and you're going to help them through that even if you have to challenge them. That's what we're talking about with loyalty. Think about Jesus. He's the example of loyalty. Let your conversation be without covetousness, Hebrews 13, 5 says, and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. As Jesus is loyal to me and those of you that believe, he will never leave you or forsake you. You should never leave or forsake a family member or friend. And again, I emphasize, that doesn't mean you stand in approval of what they're doing. But you're loyal in the fact that you are always going to be trying to help them be who they ought to be and the kind of Christian they ought to be. And a Christian, indeed, if they are not, you're loyal to them to the end, even though you may have problems with them. Maybe that's the greater uh, understanding of loyalty. And again, if the Bible preaches it, you can rest assured it's in our best interest. There are benefits. Loyalty builds trust. There's couples that don't trust each other. They're not loyal to each other. Loyalty builds friendships. And loyalty encourages people. Loyalty encourages people. To be going through a tough time and somebody call you and say, hey, I'm sticking with you. Look, you, you met, you know, let's say you mess up. You, you do something and you regret. It was dumb and you feel bad and you've been criticized. But somebody calls you and says, look, I, I love you, and yeah, what you did was wrong, but you've apologized, and you, you, you know you made a mistake, and hey, can I take you out for, for supper uh, tomorrow night? You still love me? You still going to do that? You, see the encouragement you bring to people? Loyalty. So let's conclude real quick here. I'm just going to go through this list quickly. Yeah, maybe you'll hear something here that you'll write down. You've got to take what you hear on Sundays, Sunday afternoons, and Wednesdays and put it into practice. It is not enough to just come and hear and check that off. Okay, I went to church. No, put it into practice. You need to change. So how can you promote loyalty? Or, excuse me, how can you promote family values and virtue in the home? I'm going to go through this list quick. Number one, model it. Model virtue in the home. Number two, 
hang plaques in the home that promote virtue. There's all kind of quotes and sayings and scripture verses that you can put in your home and hang on the walls that serve as a constant reminder. Number three, you can look for teachable moments with your children. Now, did you see little Johnny, how he got in trouble? Now, why did he get in trouble? And, you know, there's a teachable moment there. Look for teachable moments. Have children's books that promote virtue. They're out there. You can find them. And read them to your children. Have them read them. Uh, Eliminate influences such as TV, movies, music, and friends that tear down virtue. Look for any sources in your home, whatsoever they might be, that uh, might influence your your children to not be virtuous or yourself not to be virtuous. And, and, And make sure that that's eliminated or certainly monitored so as not to influence. Number six, encourage associations with the kind of people that promote uh did I put culture up there? It should be vulture. Uh, vulture. <laughs> virtue. Culture and virtue. Virtue, anyway. Uh, incur- you know, don't have your kids run with the wrong crowd. Don't you run with the wrong crowd. People will think I'm judgmental. <laughs> like that's a problem? Only in recent years have that, and that is a problem for some people. That's a whole other message for a whole other time. We don't have time this morning. Um, Number seven, be active in church. Number eight, have family devotions and emphasize virtue. Praise and reward virtue when you see your kids being loyal, being courageous, or or whatever it might be. Number ten, establish rules and boundaries that guide children towards virtue. Things are trying to pull them off the virtuous path. Hey, a path, you need to have some rules in your house that keep them on the right path. Uh, Number 11, write a family purpose statement emphasizing virtue. My um, daughter-in-law, Angie Berg, uh, Dr. Berg, years ago when they were kids, they they were, you know, business that have these purpose statements, and he wrote for his family, with with his family, this family purpose statement. Here's what our family is all about. This is what we're trying to do. That would be a great exercise for families. Uh, Number 12. Share personal stories that encourage virtue. You know, teaching your kids, say, hey, dad messed up years ago, and I wasn't virtuous, and I didn't show courage, and, you know, or or there's times when you do encourage your kids. Develop a moral vocabulary in your home, words like thoughtfulness, loyalty, and purity. If those words are not used frequently in your home, something's not right. And other words that emphasize virtue. Number 14, don't let children take the easy way out of challenges. They otherwise think they are entitled and they become nothing but a spoiled brat. And that will destroy them when they grow up and they have to learn to be responsible in a competitive world. And number 15, just teach kids basic manners. Very important. Basic manners. So... This quote as we conclude. We acquire virtue by our faith, obedience in Christ, and being persistent in Him, clothing ourselves in Him. Let Christ be your source. Let Him be your motivation. Let Him be the one to guide you in virtue. Whenever you find yourself failing or find yourself faltering, you know, Grow close to Jesus through prayer, through your time in church, through your personal Bible reading. 
Second Peter 1.3, we close this series with this verse. According as his divine power hath, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Please make some changes, if necessary, in your home, in your family, in your marriage to promote virtue. When virtue prevails, vice will not. Vice coming into your life, into your home, is going to rip families apart. Virtue, honesty, integrity, builds trust. That's what pulls couples together. That, that's what pulls families together. It's when families start lying to each other, or sneaking around, or not telling you. That's, that's evidence of a lack of virtue. And this is not pie in the sky. You can have a happy marriage. You can have a happy home. Yes, on some occasions it's going to be a bad day. I mean, Sharon doesn't wake up happy every day. You know, there's some days I have to put up with such... Well, we'll talk about that some other time. But I mean, yeah, even Sharon and I, we can have a bad day. And, and so can you. But it's, it's when the good days are rare that there's a problem that needs to be attended to. And I'm telling you this morning, there's help available. You say, Pastor, we need personal attention. My wife is available for counseling. I'm available for counseling. And the door is always open here. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.